0: Welcome back to The Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler.
1: I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli.
0: And boys, we return after, I think, a three-month hiatus. I think we last spoke before Thanksgiving. Is that it? It's been a minute. It's been a
1: long time.
0: It has been. Although we haven't been totally off the airwaves. We uh, have all made appearances on the Orioles Family Feud uh, competition that's going on right now.
2: It's been super fun. Yeah. I've, like, very, very genuinely enjoyed that.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah it is i was just gonna say it is it it is really fun i've liked it a lot uh i will say that might be a partial explanation as to why we haven't recorded um maybe (laughs) if we uh you know weren't doing that maybe we would have recorded in that time i don't know but uh we're two and one so i'm happy about that like i feel like we've been doing a good job i'm like proud of you guys and you know i I think we're doing good
2: hey jess we're proud of you oh
1: thank you thank you yeah
0: you're undefeated technically. that's yeah true. i mean technically but <laughs> tyler but and i took
1: the l last time right but we're a team you know we're a team
0: so Wait, well i guess we should inform the audience if they somehow have not seen this but um give that fan a contract is another orioles podcast sports podcast
1: give, give that fan a podcast a podcast sorry a, yeah yeah
0: Give <laughs> right. that fan a podcast. You're, yeah yeah. it's a play yeah. on give the fan a contract which right, right that's right. how i got confused that's that's what they're doing there but uh yeah, it's another podcast that uh hosted by a couple of local guys and they're conducting a big tournament of Orioles podcasts. Um and it's the questions are really fun. If you watch Family Feud and enjoy that, um, this is kind of a similar thing, but Orioles adjacent. Um and so the questions are sometimes fact based, sometimes they're more vibes based. So uh it's a good time. So check it out. Uh give that fan a podcast on Twitter and um you'll you'll figure it out. Just look it up. Yeah. But and- uh, yeah.
2: To give it to Ryan specifically. Ryan Blake in particular oh, yeah. was the one who sent out all these questions, coordinated the whole thing. So shout out to Ryan as well. It's been super yeah. fun.
0: And as we're recording today, I think we are technically in the semifinals. We're in the losers bracket side of the semifinals. We were in right. the winners bracket side. Um we're still waiting on getting that that semifinal scheduled. But if we win, we'll go into the final and uh see how it goes. But uh either way, it's been a good showing. Two and one, like Jesse said. Um so we can't we we can't have anything worse than a 500 record, so that's pretty. Cool.
1: It's true. I never even thought about that. And if I mean, if we make the championship too, that's worthy of a lot of celebration, even oh, yeah. if we you know don't win the championship. So
0: absolutely, yeah. there are yeah. moral victories in uh, <laughs> in that competition
1: for um, sure. I you know Eli told me this was a possibility, but I'd be really excited to do it with both of you guys. You know, yeah.
0: Yes, so it, I'm it, I'm
1: hoping that happens.
0: Yeah, depending upon the matchup, uh, all three of us maybe and scheduling abilities, all three of us may appear at the same time. So far it's only been uh, two of us. Each iteration of the two of us has uh, gotten on there. So <laughs> Right, each duo, I'm... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, today's episode of the Warehouse podcast, we're going to basically do kind of an off-season in review. Obviously, we haven't been around for a couple months here. And no individual move that's happened so far has been big enough for us to like push all of the things aside in our schedules come together for a podcast. Um and I guess that that kind of is an indication of how we're gonna what the vibe is gonna be like on the show tonight.
2: I, I will say that's a little <laughs> bit of an indictment of the Orioles <laughs> yeah. off season, you know, and how it's yeah. come together.
0: <laughs> well it, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I was also just gonna say, uh yeah, I mean one, nothing big enough has really happened. Um and yeah, um I just can we just <laughs> There's no number two. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Um, I just completely. That's,
0: that's okay, um, but yeah, it's it's not been the most exciting off season. But I think in general, the vibe. The, the, I'm saying vibe too many times as well. I've noticed that already. So we're gonna we're gonna try to not say vibe anymore. Hey,
1: we're in mid season form right now. <laughs> I was gonna yeah. also in in fairness too, like the off season isn't fully complete. So nonetheless though i think there's enough time to
2: hit the gym you know right yeah i think
1: there's enough uh reason for a little bit of concern here that we're not going as big and as bold as as we would have liked so
0: yeah but i mean in in general like i I think uh this is kind of just going off scripture the athletic put out some grades earlier this week and the grades are each given by like each reporter for the team so it's not like a you know a a comprehensive evaluation of the orioles offseason but Dan Connolly gave him a C plus and we're going to give our grades later on, but kind of the, the general consensus on Twitter seemed to be that C plus seemed pretty fair for what the Orioles have done. And uh, we'll see if we agree on that, but, but yeah, we'll talk through the Orioles moves, what they did, what they didn't do, maybe rehash a couple of the smaller things from earlier in the off season that we may have forgotten happened. Um, then we are also going to go through prospect rankings. Most of the big, Uh, public facing rankings are out. The only one that hasn't come out is fan graphs, Um, but we've got, I think five different uh, publications to put their stuff out. So it gives you a pretty good idea of how the industry is evaluating the Orioles. We'll talk through that um, and just kind of get our, our general uh, take on it. And then finally, just kind of a quick whip around about Orioles ownership situation and and what is going on because the last two weeks there, not that anything monumental has happened, but it just seems like a calamity of errors PR and otherwise the last couple of weeks for the Orioles. Um, so just kind of talk about that, take our temperature on the situation there, including some big stadium news that actually broke right before we got on to record tonight. So that's going to be kind of the agenda today, boys. Um, but I think we'll start with, uh, the Orioles on field moves. Um, and I'm just going to kind of go through things and maybe we stop, pause, talk through them. Uh, First off is who is, who, who became a free agent from the 2022 roster and is no longer with the organization. That would be Robinson Chirinos, Rugnet Odor, Jesus Aguilar, and Jordan Lyles. Lyles has signed on with the Royals and Aguilar has signed on with the athletics. Um, That was a move I totally missed by the way. I did not see, and it's a major league deal, but did you, did you see that? Which is kind of um, insane as well, but Chirinos and Odor are both still free agents. Uh, if we want to stop there. Uh, is that kind of how you figured things were going to go there, Eli? Did you expect any of that foursome to return to the Orioles this year? Um,
2: there was obviously the hot debate about Lyles. We did talk about it on the last episode. That was surprisingly one thing we got in before our <laughs> off-season break. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really expect him to sign. Um, at least I hope I didn't. That's my memory of what I remembered. Um <laughs> But yeah, I I think this was probably the right way for, forward for the Orioles. I mean, none of those guys, none of those guys contributed too much. I also was amazed to see Aguilar get a major league deal. But then again, it is the Athletics who, you know, even if they had signed him to a minor league deal, we know they don't have the talent to keep him down in the minor leagues. So he would have been there anyways. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, this all checks out. I'm not uh, not weeping tears
0: over any one of them. Yeah, fair enough. Uh Jesse, about you? Anything are you are you upset about Rubnet Odor um not being in Oreo?
1: No, I'm not. I mean, uh, I remember we had frequent conversations about how we need to make sure priority like one of the biggest priorities is that he's not on the team for 2023. <laughs> um no, I mean, I think uh yeah, I mean I Gibson is definitely an upgrade over Lyles. Um You know, he's not a massive upgrade. I wouldn't say there's not like a big, big distinction in their abilities. So, you know, whether we had re-signed Lyles again or went with Gibson, you know, I don't think in the long run it'll make a huge difference. Um, You know, and I I do remember uh, the one person I do remember arguing that we may have an outside chance of re-signing was Torino's to back up Adley. Um, but I'm, you know, especially given the amount of time that we expect the backup to be playing, um, playing, um, I think it's good that we found, uh, an upgrade in McCann, um, for Adley. So, yeah, uh, it was,
0: there was a lot of moving parts at the catcher position this off season, but they have settled in on, on a good situation there, which we'll get to in just a second. Um, yeah, not a huge shock that any of those four are not back. Uh, I didn't even think Lyles was going to come back just because Lyles ended up in like a perfect situation for him to do kind of the same thing he just did for the Orioles again, but with, for, um, I don't know if it's more money, but uh, it's more money than the Orioles are going to give him. uh, So
2: he got two years. It it wasn't the like 10 million annual, but he did get two years. So the total contract is worth more.
0: Yeah. Which good for Jordan Lyles. I mean, that's, you know, it's, there's, clearly value beyond just what your stats are to, to be able to say like, Hey, my team is not great. All of the orders ended up being pretty solid, but the Royals are probably going to stink. Uh, we're not good. We need somebody to pitch. We'll give you more money than you're probably worth to pitch for us. And Hey, that's, that's awesome for Jordan Lyles. I don't know if he'll ever go to the playoffs again, but, um, good for him. Um, a couple other big, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, Two other players that left this offseason that are notable names are Yusniel Diaz and Tyler Nevin. Diaz was DFA'd and then released and Nevin was DFA'd and then traded to the Detroit Tigers. Um, Jesse, maybe I'll go to you just to kind of get your, your parting thoughts on Yusniel Diaz not being an Oriole anymore. I mean, he was the key component of the Manny Machado trade so many years ago. Clearly Dean Kramer now has, Usurped him as like the most important player there, but you know any any feelings for Diaz kind of going out uh, of the Orioles organization with a whimper,
1: right? Yeah, I mean he's kind of representative of how difficult you know life can be for minor league baseball players trying and struggling to make the major leagues. Um, even if you're a highly rated prospect, right? There are no guarantees ever, um, and that's why. Um, I think especially recently there's sort of been, um, you know, more valuation on like major league talent and, um, sort of a move toward that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that like, uh, so yeah, I mean the whole story, especially, you know, given his injuries over the past few years, um, his frequent injuries over the past few years probably held him back a lot from, you know, fully growing and developing, Um, and then, yeah, he, and not only all of that, he never even really got a legitimate chance at the major league level, which I'm not saying he, you know, anybody is ever entitled to or anything, but he, he never even got, you know, a month or two up at the majors. He had one at bat for the Orioles last year where he struck out and then he got (laughs) immediately, immediately, uh, sent back down. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, uh, right. I mean, there were so, you know, uh, like you were saying, he was the centerpiece of the Machado deal at the time. Um, There was, uh, you know, a lot of high hopes that he would hold down a corner outfield position for us, um, you know, for several years to come Um, from the Orioles perspective. um, You know, I think like all the outfield prospects that we have, um, I think make it, make it, you know, losing Diaz uh, in terms of the Orioles outlook Um, easier because uh, at this point especially where he is in his career he's really not needed and we definitely have prospects that are um, definitely uh, at this point probably have more potential and uh, are more likely to to uh, be effective and uh, be effective major league players for the Orioles so um, in terms of a a baseball outlook perspective at this time it, it's not a big deal. Um I mean of course if, you know, I guess when do yeah, if three years ago or whatever he was, you know, a major league outfielder for us, that could have made a, a difference, right? Um yeah. if if he had developed fully and um, you know, sort of lived up to to the potential. But at this point, um having him not on the roster is, is not that uh relevant to the Orioles moving forward, despite you know uh the the disappointment uh you know that uh yeah that <laughs> the machado that, trade was that comes <laughs> with the move yeah i mean i mean we do have kramer but you know kramer obviously isn't a machado so
0: yeah, yeah and i mean it's been it's been 5 years this will be the 5th year i guess without machado since that because that was 2018 so Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the reality of it, right, is those trades don't always age super well. You kind of pin your hopes on one guy, and I think we thought Diaz was that guy, but turns out Kramer is, and hey, that's how it goes. Um, Also, Tyler Nevin, bummer for Tyler Nevin, but also, like, not. it's, like, the least surprising development, I think, of the offseason.
2: Yeah, he was top of the list, as we brought (laughs) in pretty much anybody to get kicked (laughs) off the roster, so...
0: Yeah, Well, yeah. And then related to that is a couple of minor league signings they had throughout the, the winter, which were players that, I mean, t- Tyler Nevin could play third base, but, you know, considering we have Gunnar Henderson, Ramon Urias just won a gold glove. Uh, Tyler Nevin probably wasn't going to see too much time at third base. He was mostly going to be a first base DH, maybe corner outfield option uh, and one that couldn't really hit all that well. So that's a tough, that's a tough thing to convince a team to give you innings there. <laughs> Um, But the Orioles did make a bunch of minor league signings, a couple of the noteworthy ones, uh, Lujan Diaz and his DFA fiasco of an offseason, Franchi (laughs) Franchi Cordero, who was a Red Sox recently, Ryan O'Hearn and Nomar Mazzara. The Orioles have kind of gone all in on left-handed first base types, Eli. Um, I mean, do you see anything interesting with their choice to do that? And does that tell you anything about? Maybe, you know, what the organization is, is thinking a weakness is for them.
2: Yeah, I, I think they're looking for one of these guys to, you know, make an impact in spring and end up on the twenty six man. I, I do think, you know, it's interesting that they're going for like, I mean, and Diaz to an extent, but mostly Franchi Cordero and Nomar Mazzara just have this insane, prodigious raw power. Um, And so they're clearly looking for that thump in the middle of the order. You know, to an extent, I think that's what they were looking for. Of course, he wasn't a lefty, but when they brought in Aguilar, somebody to come off the bench and just provide some thump, uh, provide, you know, like just a little bit of intimidation in the lineup. I don't know. I, you know, I'm not sure I fully buy into any one of these guys, but Franchi Cordell... Cordero and Nomar Mazara have both hit balls 500 feet in major league games, so you know I'm I'm not mad at it. it. It's definitely a like grab a couple spark plugs and see if you can catch lightning in a bottle. Um, so yeah. I, I I think it's a uh, yeah I think it's reasonable. The thing that is interesting about it, I you know think it does show a certain element of doubt in Ryan Mountcastle. Um, I think that. You know, we all talked about how Mountcastle was unlucky all year. His batted ball profile definitely was better than the results showed. That said, you know, the reality of the fact is he's going to be playing in a park with a left field wall that's 700 feet away for, you know, the rest of this rookie team control period. So he is disadvantaged by that. And as long as you are looking for, you know, your first baseman to provide authority in the lineup, having that person standing on the right side of the plate, I think is partially disadvantageous in Camden Yards. So I, I, I think it makes sense to try to bring in some left-handed bats. Don't get me wrong. I do not think that there's any chance Ryan Mountcastle isn't our starting first baseman on right. opening day. You know, he's around and he's around for the long haul. Uh, but I think it makes sense to try to play some matchups potentially if any one of these guys uh, starts to string some stuff together, starts to make some better swing decisions, starts to see the ball a bit better than they have in the past, then yeah, they could provide some thump. And we've got the nice flag court that is calling their name
0: in right field. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you know, because, cause like what you just said, Mount Castle is the first baseman. And all of these guys have had a bite at the major league apple. You know what I mean? Like they've had their chance, hasn't gone well. And I think that it, If Mountcastle is not your first baseman and one of them is, something is wrong and we've got bigger problems and I think (laughs) a trade has to be made. Um, But I do think like if Ryan Mountcastle goes down for for two weeks, okay, I could have one of these guys come up, play a role for two weeks, and then Ryan comes back into the fold. Um, Which I think that maybe tells us like they don't love the first base options they have at Bowie or Norfolk and it's because they haven't really drafted those types of guys they've been very middle of the field focused apart from getting a couple corner guys that they've had uh, uh like heston Curse that a couple of years ago and then colton couser is kind of a center fielder corner outfielder but yeah i think it's just it's something that they clearly didn't feel confident in those options behind uh ryan mountcastle um but but that doesn't i, I still agree with your point that this is kind of a show me sort of year for Ryan Mountcastle because yes, you can hit the ball really hard and that should eventually lead to doubles and home runs, but you've got to play in the park that you're dealt. And right now that is Camden yard. So, you know, Ryan Mountcastle is the first base for 2023, but I don't know if he's guaranteed anything beyond that. If this team has higher aspirations, maybe they've got to do something. Um, But but, uh, yeah, it was an interesting string of moves. Uh, Jess, did you have anything to add to that conversation? Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I think the the thing that is interesting is I feel like they're largely moves, sort of like you said, uh, bracing for a potential injury or something like that. Because um, I think Adley is going to be the one who probably plays first base when Mountcastle needs to sit down. Um, for like a day, and, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. So. Um. Yeah. When when uh Hyde doesn't like the matchup with Mountcastle over at first, right? I think Adley will probably, you know, um, be <clears throat> be used uh that day to sort of take a rest from behind the plate and from his catching responsibilities. So, um, that's kind of how I'm a envisioning it. I don't imagine, you know, if Mountcastle is healthy, I don't generally think that Mazzara or Cordero would just sit on the bench behind him. Um, no. Yeah, just uh, being limited to basically only playing first, even though uh, Mazzara plays a little bit of outfield too, though, right? But I don't. Yeah, he's think...
2: been a corner outfielder most of his time in the in the bigs, but right, he's but never I,
1: been good at it. So, and I don't think, <laughs> and right, and he's not going to get any time in our outfield. So, um, mm. yeah, so he's, pro- the, he's probably comparable to Santander out there, but defensively, you I mean, yeah, 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 defensively. Okay, yeah, I just I. Oh, go ahead, Tyler. I mean, uh, I just think we have options, you know, other yeah, than I, other bizarre. I, I don't see it. Yeah. Well, yeah,
0: and it just gives the roster so much less flexibility. Like, yeah, I guess he could technically play first base corner outfield, but that's not that much flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right on Rutschman playing some first base, and I think James McCann said as much. Like, when he was right. coming over, he was like, they told me me and Adley are going to play some first base. And mm-hmm. McCann was bad against lefties last year, but previous to that he'd been pretty good against lefties. Uh, Mountcastle really struggled with lefties last year. So we maybe see him sit against lefties more often. Uh we'll see.
1: Yeah. But
0: um uh rule five draft, the Orioles protected, Grayson Rodriguez, Drew Rom, Noah DeNoyer, and Seth Johnson from the rule five draft. Uh no real like head scratchers there. Grayson Rodriguez was a no-brainer and the rest and Seth Johnson, they weren't going to not protect him after trading for him mid season. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, They didn't lose anybody in the MLB portion of the rule five, which was kind of surprising. I felt like, Uh, and then they did make a selection taking right-handed pitcher, Andrew Politi from the Red Sox, and he will be expected to compete for a bullpen spot. Um, Does anybody have anything on Andrew Politi that they'd like to share (laughs) at this time?
2: (laughs) I I don't know. I can say last year was his first year transitioning to the pen. And he's kind of like, he's a mid-80s guy. He does have a more like vertical curveball and kind of a short, hard slider. They do classify him as having a slider and a cutter, two distinct pitches, but they say they're pretty uh, pretty similar in profile. So I, I think that he, I don't know, I think that he's somebody who, if this were the Orioles of 2021, would undoubtedly be with us for a full year. But this year, our rotation, I don't know, as we can kind of talk about as we're going, but our rotation is filling up, and that's pushing the likes of, I don't know, I think Tyler Wells, D.L. Hall, Austin Voth, you know, I think all of these guys are going into the pen, and I'm not entirely sure that there will be room for a project, so to speak, which is a pleasant surprise being an Orioles fan. We're used to having a Rule 5 player on the, you know, on the team all year, sometimes too, so.
1: Yeah plus the stellar bullpen we had last year, you know, and we have guys in the rotation getting pushed to the 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 uh to the bullpen i yeah, I mean, I don't think the Orioles realistically think that you know he will make it all year i mean maybe they think you know maybe he shocks us, but I think more likely um they view him as temporary and as someone who will eventually be be given back
0: well, and it's you know it's kind of. I, like you said the bullpen was really good last year but I, something to me feels like there's some smoke and mirrors to some elements of it i think felix bautista is really really good probably not as good as he was at certain times but still really good the clear closer and the and the top guy in the pen cnl perez his peripherals are a little spotty who knows if that's really going to stick dylan tate is a guy that all these years later i still don't like love when he comes into the game because i I just I just don't I just don't love when he's in the game. He just feels like something's going to go wrong at any moment. Um but that's can, that's Could you
1: elaborate game. on that because I He do doesn't not, he, doesn't strike, do not, people, he doesn't
0: strike people out. For uh-huh. how for what the stuff he has, he doesn't strike people out. And yeah, as a I, major league baseball as a pitcher, as a bullpen guy that can't strike people out, that scares me.
2: I will say I, I've kind of got <laughs> I know Jesse is like one of the biggest Dylan Tate fans in the world. Yeah. I, I've got a twofold thing. A, yeah, he does not strike people out, which is super weird. B, I do think his stuff actually took a really large jump last year, like particularly the changeup. It was truly an elite pitch. So I do think that I don't know between the you know the sinker coming in at ninety seven and that changeup that I don't know we've seen it get twenty two inches of arm side run. Like I think Tate is a really good seventh inning guy. You know, like, I'm not sure he'll ever be a closer, but I am confident holding two that he can come in, get you a ground ball, and get out of a, you know, get out of a tough situation.
0: Oh, yeah, and I'm not saying that Andrew Paletti is going to come in and replace Dylan Tate. Right, right. right, But for (laughs) if you think your bullpen, every bullpen in the league, there's going to be a pitcher that was really good last year that's going to suck this year. That's just, like, the rule of bullpens. So if the options were, let's go get a free agent and – a free agent veteran and pay him probably too much to be not good. Or let's spend a hundred thousand dollars on a rule five pick, bring him to the spring, see what he can do. Maybe he does surprise us. Maybe he is better than you know, uh, Nick Vespi or something. I know he's left handed, but oh, definitely, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like that kind of a thing. And if he's not okay, cool, we got him, we can send him back to the Red Sox. They'll probably take him and we'll get 50 grand back or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think it's why not? It's a low risk probably low reward type of a move, but why
1: not? Elias doesn't mind spending fifty thousand and thirty thousand dollars <laughs> here and there to get an acquisition <laughs> that might not work out you know he's he's willing to spend the money, you know so.
2: um unfortunately, he's not willing to spend more money on acquisitions <laughs> that will one hundred percent work out correct
1: yeah I, I was kind of kind of joking about that <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I picked up on it Jess I brought got it better. home for you, Jess <laughs> thank you, thank
0: you um. But all right, well, let's talk about some of the money he did spend this offseason. The first one Jesse alluded to, uh, Kyle Gibson, the Orioles signed him. He was with the Phillies last year. One year, $10 million deal. He's going to take the Jordan Lyles role of the veteran innings eater type guy. As Jesse kind of said, he's he's incrementally or like slightly better than Lyles, pretty much across the board. Um, but he's going to cost less than Lyles would have for the Orioles to trigger the option, which I think was $11 million. Uh, yeah, they- it- in a weird way, it's the exact same, though, because they had a $1 million
2: buyout. So, like, the decision not to pay Lyles was a $10 million difference.
0: There you
2: go.
0: So. So, okay. So, you, yeah. you either way, you probably came out a little bit ahead because Kyle Gibson, I think, is slightly better. Um, but, Jess, you kind of gave your thoughts there. So, maybe, Eli, I'll go to you on um, if you like this move or, or how you feel about it.
2: Yeah, I like Gibson. I mean, a lot of people pointed – I don't know, people online, you know, and you can't trust people online, but people online were upset (laughs) because his results last year, quite frankly, were not good. Um, But he is largely a, you know, a pitch to contact guy. He's not going to strike out, you know, nine per nine or anything like that. And he was playing in front of the worst defense in the league in what is a little bit of a hitter's park. And so, you know, it stands to reason that with Jorge Mateo behind him with Gunnar at third, you know, with Cedric in center field that we're going to be in a situation where he will perform better than he did last year, just on that alone. But then beyond that, I mean, the guy was an all-star the year before. Granted, it was with the Rangers and you have to send one, you know, from every team, but, uh, you know, he's a a pretty legitimately good pitcher. Um, He definitely, he threw 180 innings last year or so. And so we can expect him as Tyler said, to fill that kind of innings-eating innings eating role. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it was a good move. Like, yeah, like you said, Tyler, it, he is incrementally better and essentially the exact same price as Lyle's. So I, I'm yep. pretty cool with it.
0: Yeah, kind of the theme of the offseason was incrementally better. You That's exactly cross, right. The board. <laughs> um, Jess, did you have anything else to add on Gibson? Or do you feel like you kind of covered it? You're muted, Jess.
1: I think that got it. (laughs) Okay.
0: Cool. Uh, Let's move on to Adam Frazier. We're not totally clear on what position he's going to play, but the Orioles did sign him to a one-year $8 million deal. He's mostly been a second baseman in his career, but I think he's got experience all over the field. I think he did play some corner outfield for the Mariners last year. Another guy that was not good last year and was definitely not good compared to some of his career um, numbers to give you guys kind of a quick rundown, last year he batted 238 with a 301 on base, 311 slugging. But just like Gibson in 2021, he was an all-star uh, with the Pirates for most of that year, uh, where he batted 324 with a 388 on base and a 448 slugging for the Pirates before he was traded to the Padres, uh, where his season kind of took a nosedive. Um, this feels sort of like a replacement for Odor, who was the Orioles' second baseman most of the time, which is... In my opinion, a little interesting because the Orioles have a plethora of middle infield prospects that they've not traded this this offseason, and they're not clearly anointing any one of them the second baseman. Um, Jess, do you want to kind of expand on your outrage that you just exhibited there? Well,
1: I I mean, it's not outrage, but yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like we've accumulated all these prospects. We have options available, and I think there's a good a good chance that he's going to be holding somebody back um i mean there's a possibility you know like you said he could play all over the field so you know if mckenna was slated to be on the team this year which i don't really think he was but if he was um Wait, right Ma- like mckenna right you don't yeah, think ryan yeah i'm gonna sorry be on what? The
0: team? i'm sorry you don't think ryan mckenna is going to be on the team i think he'll be up and down no i think you're crazy i think he's like the perfect
1: fourth outfielder Yeah, I think
2: he's 162 games of the year on the team, not playing.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, like, I felt like, I, you know, I'm kind of wondering whether Frazier would sort of take that, um, you know, be sort of a replacement for him or a utility guy that could play all over. Um, So, you know, I I mean, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I feel like we have options. We have uh, Vavra, for instance, and I'm just a little – a little confused as to how he's going to fit into the mix of everything plus you know that means that right where's Urias gonna play um I mean that brings up questions for him um and then yeah any of the options uh also like Joey Ortiz or somebody like that like is he gonna get how can he get slated at second base now that Frazier has been signed so uh, you know it's just kind of difficult to see how he's gonna fit in and you know it's going to be hard to make sure he's not blocking somebody and you know that's kind of where I'm a little um, I, I mean I'm not going to say it's definitively a bad move but right. um it's probably not the direction I would have gone and it doesn't address you know sort of what I think the need is Um, I did, I I do remember recommending or, you know, considering signing like Gene Segura um, or somebody of that, you know, kind of player to play second, but he's actually, you know, would be a legitimate, you know, second baseman that would probably at this point be a legitimate upgrade over the other options. And it's not clear that Frazier is so.
0: Sure. Yeah. And Segura, I I think that the knock on Segura, he's not, well, he has a good fielder actually, now that I'm looking at numbers. Cause Frazier's got like pretty good numbers defensively, not great, but um. yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting move. move. Eli, did you want to get in with your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I guess just super quick. Like I, I think that what Tyler said, I, I do think Frazier is a legitimately good, defi- good fielder. I think what this does, I think, there's a 0% chance now that the Orioles do not have a super active deadline. Uh, you know, I there, as you guys have said, there's no possible way that all of these middle infielders fit on one roster. Um, it reminds me of like 2001 backyard baseball when I'm getting like Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez and Alex Gonzalez and just taking the three shortstops <laughs> and putting them around, you know, it's like, uh-huh. we've got this plethora of middle infield and just like overall infield talent. And, yeah, I mean, Westberg, Ortiz, these guys are going to be starting to push up. Connor Norby is going to be pushing up at second base. Yeah. And quite frankly, <clears throat> defensively, you can't really put him anywhere else. So, yeah, yeah I, it, it's like – it is interesting. That said, at the same time, I think our like our team, as it stands, I think Adam Frazier is a significant upgrade to Terran Vavra. And I think that, you know, it might end up in a situation where him and Urias are – Platooning a little bit. If Gunner needs a day off, Orias jumps over to third. You know, I, I think that having four outfielders, I'm sorry, four infielders to play the three positions is the way to go. And Adam Frazier is definitely a starting caliber, you know, middle infielder in the MLB. And if he returns to anything like his all-star form from 2021, then you,
0: you know, you hit a jackpot for $8 million. Yeah, two things on – first, the Segura thing Jesse mentioned is I didn't realize he had gotten a three-year deal with the Marlins. That makes sense to me that the Orioles didn't want to do that because he's 32, going to be 33 on opening day. They weren't going to give a 33-year-old a three-year deal, so I can understand that. Um, and I think, like, in, in general, the Orioles' like, whole thesis and like goal of the offseason seems to be, like, just get through the first like three months of the season at a 500 record. Like, just get through them. B500. I think that's exactly right. <laughs> like, it, it seems like they were just like,
2: I mean, do absolutely nothing to the ceiling and just yeah. raise the floor just a little bit to just continue what we had last year and then figure out ways
0: to make an impact later. Right. Or, like,
1: or or just reassess halfway through. Right. Well, yeah, you could reassess
0: because if, if it all goes sideways, that's something too. I mean, I, I don't know that the the, day, the deadline's probably a little bit differently if things go sideways, but your, off, your next offseason probably isn't. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, like, literally just, like, get through it. They don't – I don't know. They're not really in a rush, obviously, to get minor leaguers up to the majors and, like, show them off because I think what can happen if you do that is – I don't know that anything – like, Deal Hall came up last year, was not good last year. I don't know that that's really dented his, like – his value in baseball circles but like we'll talk about prosper rankings in a little bit he's gone down in like pretty much all the prospect rankings because he came up was erratic uh didn't look great had good stuff but couldn't throw a strike like all the negatives you ever heard about DL hall showed themselves on the major league stage last year
1: exactly and
0: potentially you saw some things kind of fall apart there the same thing could happen to joey ortiz or Connor norby or or whoever if you bring them up and they just struggle a little bit so why not just keep them in AAA, let them keep filling up the stat sheet. That let, lets you get more data on them too. The team's 500, okay. Uh, Joey's really crushing it. We really buy his numbers now. He's the second baseman, and we're trading Connor Orby for, and, so, and somebody else for Shane Bieber. You know what I mean? Like, it allows the Orioles to get more information. So Adam Fraser is an $8 million Band-Aid to allow them those three months to make a decision on that stuff which is like convoluted and, and frustrating because i think the team could be so much better this year but they're like they're just like they're not caring about these first three months and then really things start in 2024 is kind of how they're like positioning, it, which i hate but i'm just saying
2: just go real ahead. quick just sorry it,
0: it seems like they're delaying committing sort of like. yeah you,
2: you, you know it's just kind of like okay let's hold let's hold let's okay go 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 you know it's <laughs> right. like and we haven't seen the go, go, go. It's, we are just like in this holding pattern and we're like right on the precipice, ready to like, I don't know, ready to dive in. And it just hasn't happened yet.
1: My my thing with that, Tyler, is I, I get what you're saying. Yes, it allows the Orioles to collect more data and stuff like that. I guess I just, I don't have I don't really believe if Joey came up, started at second base, you know, or Norby, you know, or whoever it is, whoever they think would do the best. Right. Started at second base that his value would dramatically decline, even if he really struggled in a few months at the major league level, you know, especially if he got, you know, sent back down and then started raking again you know or whatever so that's that's kind of the only thing that i i guess i would disagree in the analysis and the 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 potential for that right is high right i mean their value would skyrocket if, if they started really producing at the major right. league level you know what i'm saying so yeah but
0: then if they start producing at the major league level that's your guy that's not that's not the the cleveland guardians guy you know what right. i mean
1: right but the, yeah, but well, then you then you know that and you have these other guys that are available yeah. for trade. Well, you know? I also think like the picture is crystallized at that. We've point, also you know? experienced
0: like a dynamic shift these last couple of years. I think we, in like 2016, 2017, whatever, the Orioles, I think, were viewed as like a backwards organization that didn't really know how to develop talent. Just like got lucky a couple of times, had a generational guy in Manny Machado, you know. And I think now in 2023, the Orioles are looked at in the industry as like they know what they're doing with player development. So, like, if there's that black box of the minor leagues and the numbers, like, okay, well, Baltimore developed this guy. Let's let's try and go get him. But if you put him up to the major leagues, that black box is taken away now. We can see exactly what he is because he's facing the best of the best. And, oh, maybe he's not so good. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of how I think of it is the Orioles are – they haven't, like, won a World Series or anything. But I think, like, in terms of player development, they're starting to, like – they've got the secret sauce that other teams maybe don't have in some ways. And you can keep those players in the minors and protect their value a little bit. Now that's maybe me like definitely looking at things through orange tinted glasses and maybe it's not true, but that's how I'm reading stuff.
2: Yeah. I I think those like have a little bit of like a player development brand. You, You know, they have like, when it is stamped with the orange O, there's a little bit of a premium on it. I think that's true. And I think, you know, you can, we're going to talk about the prospect rankings. Like we have, I think 11 guys who all made it into the top 100 in these various rankings. It's like unbelievable, you know? And, yeah. you know, for reference, if you got 30 teams in the league and a hundred spots, you should have three. Right. So it, it it's a, yeah, th- there's well, definitely like a premium that comes with the Orioles brand I,
1: right now. <laughs> I mean, you're right, but the 11 you're saying is compiled on different lists, so that's yeah. But a- we had eight, eight or nine,
2: which is you know what you would have if there are 12 teams in the league,
1: right? Oh, you're saying eight or nine on one list. I'm just yeah, saying on yeah. every single list. Yeah, I'm just saying the 11 was a little slightly unfair based on how you were that's hey, all Yeah, were but, 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 but but i mean i'm just saying that I,
2: all right then you know that means that we got 11 of the top 125 right that's what i was gonna say. I, right
1: okay <laughs> yeah I, well i just don't want the audience to be confused and well you know, the audience like, aren't
0: they're not dumb they know Okay, what, i'm not saying they're yeah. dumb i'm just saying like Look, it was like a slight jesse of
1: thinks you're very of stupid you did you it right she- <laughs>
2: That's, Jesse that's, doesn't respect you. <laughs>
1: if, if somebody was trying to lie with numbers, they might do a sleight of hand like that. I don't
0: know. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I know that's not what you were doing. Right. So I just wanted to be clear. That's all. That's all. <laughs> all right. Let, let's keep going through these. We've got three more moves to talk about before we get into the, the prospects. Uh, Michael Givens is coming back to the Orioles. Jesse, I know you're ecstatic about that. It's a one year, $3 million contract with a mutual option for 2024. That if both sides pick it up, it's worth $6 million. If Givens picks it up but the Orioles don't, it's worth two million, two million dollars. And then if uh the Orioles pick it up but Givens doesn't, it's worth one million dollars. It's very here's here's the deal: they're not right. both gonna pick up the mutual option. So Michael <laughs> Givens will be here for one year. That's, and it'll be a
2: five million dollar guarantee. <laughs> right.
0: Uh Jesse, how are you feeling about Michael Givens going I mean, I like it. You know, I
1: I you know it's gonna be interesting because you know, when he when he left us, he was like our eighth inning sometimes rarely our ninth inning guy and he's gonna be coming back to us as a sixth or seventh inning guy um given our bullpen so it'll be interesting to see the change in in how he's utilized. Um but I, I mean you know obviously as you said I've loved Michael Gibbons for a long time. I think he's a great asset to a bullpen just because of his arm angle. Um I mean that alone I think like really you know uh boosts his value to any bullpen. Um, you know, having a guy like Darren O'Day or um, or given somebody like that, um, Chad yeah. Bradford, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, um, I you know, I mean, from that perspective, you know, I think it gives our bullpen a greater diversity of, you know, types of arm angles, velocities, that sort of thing. Um, so I think I think it's a good pickup from there. And I think he's going to I think he's going to be a solid reliever for us. So I, I I you... like it.
0: Do you think his warm-up song will still be ready or not by the Fugees? I don't know. You know, now that <laughs> you say so. that, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a great a long time. walk-up a long song.
1: Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess a lot a lot has changed. A lot of new songs have come out in that time that he might be tempted well, by. Yeah, so, the Fugees well, wasn't exactly
0: a new song when he was. No, teenage, that's true. That's true. But like, there,
1: there's still another four years of worth of selection that he you know he could choose from. Fair enough. This.
0: So, um, um
1: but yeah, no, I'm I'm excited about it. I think it's good and I think he'll I think uh he'll do well for us. Yeah. Eli do you think he'll do well for us? I think
2: he will. I, I do need to say, like uh I had forgotten this about him and you know was disappointed in myself for that, but there definitely were some domestic abuse allegations flying against him. Uh so when I was reminded of that on Twitter, and appropriately so, I was a little bit disappointed again. But, uh, yeah, I can't say I know the outcomes of those, whatever, but uh, it, it is always significant that somebody felt they were in a place where, you know, they needed to speak out about such a thing. Um, and, you know, I, I I looked it up a tiny bit before this and didn't find any huge, like, conclusion, but uh, they are now divorced. Um, you know, it did end. Um, so, I, I don't know. That, it, it's something worth saying. Yeah. You know, like character is in question as to an on the field product. Uh, yeah. I think he's a good reliever. Like Jesse said, I think that there is value in having different arm angles out of your pen. I remember when the rays were uh, taken on the playoffs and Nick Anderson was kind of leading the charge, they went through and they showed like the eight or nine arm arm angles And it made a perfect like 180, I'm sorry, the eight or nine arm angles out of the raised bullpen. And it made a perfect 180 degree semicircle. It was unbelievable, just like all over the place. And there's a lot of value in giving those different looks. You know, there is a lot of value in Felix Bautista coming from, you know, like releasing the ball nine feet up in the air at 100 miles an hour. And then Dylan Tate at the three quarter slot with 98 and then Michael Givens, you know, full sidearm at 94. It's like, it's difficult to keep picking up these changes in speed, keep picking up these new arm angles. And uh, I, yeah, I I think that's an interesting point. I think it's worth uh, worth mentioning. And I think that the Orioles, you know, like know exactly what they're getting in him. You know, he's really a two pitch guy. He's a fastball slider guy he'll continue to be that. And yeah, you, you, know, you talk about volatility in a rotation. I think this is or in a bullpen. I think this is kind of hedging bets against that because he has been around for a number of years and he's a pretty stable product as far as a bullpen piece goes. So um, I like the move from the baseball standpoint. Uh, I do think, yeah, I think it was a good pickup. I think it once again, like raises our floor incrementally. Um, if Brian Baker implodes, you know you've got Michael Gibbons to take over the 6th inning it's simple as that
0: yeah I, that's that's a good point and i think your what you mentioned about the domestic violence is important to note too um this is like we're you know we're a baseball podcast and i think we we like the sport first and foremost and we have to remember that these this games played by people and that's both for good or for bad and um you know it's it's tough sometimes to to remove the to just root for the Jersey. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. and I know that's what I try to do is cause there's, I'm sure there's been Orioles over the year that have been terrible people and there will be terrible people in the future that are Orioles. And how about, you know, how about,
2: how about Sidney Ponson back in the day?
0: Yeah. How about, um, Alfredo Simone shot a guy, didn't he? I
2: did
1: not hear that. What,
0: wasn't that Alfredo? <laughs> I oh, don't God. remember
1: that. I'm going to have to
0: find this now. Hopefully, you're I, not
1: disrespecting Alfredo Simone's right? <laughs> name. <laughs> I mean, wait, as, wait. So, as far as Ponson, didn't he just have DUIs? I mean, obviously, that's bad. And not Well, good, I, I think like... he
2: was like. I, don't, I mean, granted, I was like seven years old at the time, but I remember like DUIs and a generally bad character. Like,
1: mm.
2: I don't know. I remember anger issues and like just a generally bad temperament and it I all mean kind that of mixed sounds together like, for me yeah, I
1: mean that sounds like alcoholism yeah and, well but, I mean how much well, you want to and you can be strong for that is for, for sure for sure well for
0: sure. yes I mean that's a more complicated decision or <laughs> right. discussion like right. uh, <laughs> there's alcoholism and there's deciding to get behind the wheel of a car which are two different right. things. things sure but um yeah Alfredo Simone was alleged of involuntary manslaughter after New Year's Eve celebration where he shot a gun in the air and it it hit hit somebody, killed them. Um, And then he was also alleged to have raped a woman uh, and was sued for $15 million in 2014. So, so yeah, this is all, yeah, we're going, you know, we're getting into the nitty gritty here, but um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think that if somebody's made a mistake that their whole life should be ruined, but also we need to acknowledge that these people have high paying, high profile jobs, and you're not just entitled to have those if you are someone who's conducted themselves uh poorly and you know right. that's an ongoing issue in major league baseball uh trevor bauer uh mike clevenger you all know, sports
1: really yeah all sports yeah.
0: but and those guys should be held accountable and and you hope the orioles have done their due diligence on michael to make sure that any issues he has had have been resolved or he's uh you know repentant or, or whatever it may be um because yeah i know it's It's definitely complicated to like want your team to win, but if you don't like the person who's doing those things, um, it it can be complicated. Um, So, you know, we understand that and you're free to fan the way you want to fan, you know, that's, that's how I think of things. So also, uh, yeah,
2: that was very well said, but also Aubrey Huff. We can't get through this conversation without just saying that name. So good to proceed.
0: Aubrey Huff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kurt Schilling was an
1: Oriole for a little bit. That's true. He I was. mean, I, I was thinking about Luke Scott too. You know, oh yeah, so we have yeah. had our fair share of well, of and, you bad know, and people, that's it's know.
0: bad in different ways. Um, you know, there's some guys that are have bad opinions. There's some people have bad actions. Um, it's complicated. People are complicated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and we will try to call them out here when uh, deemed appropriate. Yeah. Um moving back into the maybe we in- should
1: just have an episode like philosophizing you know like about uh, like just giving our opinions about all this sort of thing <laughs> i think we just I feel like that. that would be a really useful uh use
0: of time yeah yeah that's definitely what our audience <laughs> is looking for, is looking for, <laughs> for sure. um yeah. back to the uh, acquisitions from the offseason the Orioles traded for catcher james mccann from the new york mets in exchange for minor leaguer luis de la cruz and cash uh, Jesse, this addresses the backup catcher thing you mentioned earlier. Um, how do you feel about James McCann as the backup? Does, does this feel like a an upgrade from Robinson Chirinos, or where's your gut at there?
1: Oh, well, no doubt it's an upgrade. Um, the, the one thing uh, that did stand out to me is you know, it is sort of a long contract to have for somebody who's going to be a backup catcher. Um, so that's that's kind of an interesting um, decision the Orioles made. But that said, um, he's definitely like probably a better uh, catcher than his numbers showed last year. Um, you know, he was an all star, I believe, at one point. Is that 2019? Yeah. yeah 2019.
0: And, all, and right. also a bunch of his salaries being paid by the Mets while he's here so
1: got uh, right well that's the other thing <clears throat> right exactly is that like the Orioles got him for really cheap relatively and right the Mets are covering basically the Mets wanted to get rid of them basically yeah. so um yeah the Orioles were sort of taking advantage of of a situation which they sort of did with the athletics too which we'll talk about but um <laughs> you know so uh but yeah, I mean I, I, I think it's a good move. I think he's a good upgrade overall. Um, I mean, I guess there's always opportunity for the Orioles to deal him too if necessary. Um, but I was just thinking about like the uh I, I think it is I think it is a good move. It's just kind of interesting, you know, they're kind of locked into sort of a long term contract for, for a backup catcher. But um yeah.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. It, it is kind of a weird setup there because, yeah, you forget that he's got he's got two more or two or three more years after this. So he'll two more. Yeah, he'll be an Oriole for a little while um, unless he really struggles. And then in that case, I think they're only on the hook for like six million dollars or something beyond this season. So it's not huge.
2: Yeah, it, it was his contract was two for 24 remaining and they're paying down 19 of it. So we're on the hook for five, which is yeah. like, I don't know, for for 80 games of a reasonably okay catcher that's like more than worthwhile
0: yeah it'll be interesting to see if the if like the robot ump stuff comes to be and then if his framing that he's pretty good at becomes less valuable if he's not hitting then it's like okay what are we doing here but um that's not a problem for 2023
1: yeah so one thing i will say that uh this sort of reminds me a little bit of right it's it very much is it reminds me very much of Billy Bean and Moneyball. Um I, I remember when there you know, there was a time Billy Bean was talking about like making some negotiation or some sort of contract and he needed just a little bit of money. So he went to the Mets and he's like, Hey, can you just give us, you know, I don't know what it was, 50,000, a hundred thousand, you know, 500,000. And the Mets were like, sure. You know, like why not? Like it means nothing to them, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting uh, that uh, you know, the Mets you know are fine just like giving the money away to the Orioles and you know like that that is you know they save five million so good enough for them you know they can wipe their hands clean of James McCann and they don't really care and the Orioles you know are sort of uh you know Billy Bean sort of uh was using the Mets as a piggy bank in that situation or or uh you know, uh, or like just going to a bank and just getting free money, you know, for nothing, <laughs> basically. And that's kind of what it feels like a little bit the Orioles doing here um, and sort of the Orioles doing the same thing sort of in reverse with the A's, which we'll talk about. But, yeah, it's just kind of an interesting dynamic to see how all that stuff is moving behind the scenes and, you know, how each each team is approaching um. Monetarily, these sorts of negotiations from very different perspectives.
0: So, yeah, I mean, the Mets, you know, they made waves all offseason. My spending well, the last couple of years for spending out the wazoo. And, but James McCann, that's just we got to get something. We can't, we can't pay his whole contract. So, we got to get uh, a couple million dollars and Luis de la Cruz. Um, but we'll see. But let's, let's talk about the Oakland Athletics trade you just mentioned, Jesse. <clears throat> uh, the Orioles finally got their like rotation piece that was. More of an upgrade than Gibson, they traded for left-handed pitcher Cole Irvin and minor league right-hander Kyle Verbitsky from the Oakland Athletics in exchange for minor leaguer Daryl Hornet. Let me say that again, in exchange for minor leaguer Daryl uh shortstop, one of the pretty good middle infield prospects, but not quite the uh, upper echelon that they've that we've been talking about earlier today. Uh, Eli, you in our text chain, you seem pretty excited about the Cole Irvin trade. Um, Do you maybe want to explain uh, your feelings?
2: Yeah, I guess the first thing is like, you know, we traded some of this minor league talent for major league talent. And that is, I don't know, that's the pinnacle of everything that us Orioles fans have ever wanted is using this stockpile of wealth that we have accumulated and starting to shell it out in exchange for goods. You know, it's like you came home with a bonus and you get to go buy yourself you know, a nice meal and you get to finally come home and reap the benefits of all this work you put in all of this turmoil. Um, Yeah. I, I was like really, really amazed that the A's did this period, you know, Cole Irvin was a, I mean, he was on a unbelievably hot streak for like 10, 11 starts last year. he, Did finish the season a little bit cold, but as a whole, you know, sub four ERA, really, really good walk rates. He doesn't strike many guys out, but he is a effective pitcher. He's an effective pitcher with four years of control remaining. He's, you know, going to be on a pre-arb contract this year. We're going to pay the dude like $700,000, severely underpay him for a year's work, you know, of like good you know number three number four rotation stuff like he definitely definitely is bolstering this rotation he's a legitimate addition and we have him for four more years at you know subdued below market rates it's like it's wonderful i'm super ecstatic about it um and, I, you know, it's like it's definitely not a Carlos Rodon. This is not a dude who's going to come and start game one in the playoffs and, you know, shut down the those New York Mets we were talking about and roll through the Yankees and the Dodgers. It, it's not like that. But he is a talented pitcher. He's still like, you know, in his mid to late 20s. So there's still some development that could happen. He's got, obviously, a new development scheme over here. So, you know, there might be some stuff that we could tap into. Um, but, you know, being the soft thrower that he is, you know, I think he averages like 91 on his fastball. He's probably never going to be some super, super impact guy. But th- this is the type of dude you need in a major league rotation in a contending like any playoff contending rotation. He's, he's a great pickup. And the fact that we could do it with a shortstop who is very talented, who has had a lot of helium, you know, has been on the rise, but just barely made it to double a buoy last year. Like I I think that's wonderful. And we got some like six foot seven dude Uh to stash in the minor leagues as well, along with it. I don't know like how four years of a major leaguer is worth less then there are her nays. I love her nays, but it just like, it was fascinating to me and it
1: made me happy.
0: Yeah. Jesse, do you want to give your take and then I'll chime yeah, in. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's, it's sort of equally as shocking, I think as Eli is sort of indicating here. Um, right. I mean, we know for all intents and purposes, we know that Cole, uh, Cole Irvin is going to be a productive major league player. Um. You know, so, right, the fact that we can give, you know, exchange a a maybe, right, without, you know, Hernays, like you were saying, like, he's a very good player, um, but he's still a ways away from the major leagues and anything can happen in that time. And, yeah, we're getting a player with four years of control. What's really surprising to me about it the most is that it really seems like the A's, even if they wanted to trade Cole, could have gotten a bigger return than Hernays from you know, even if we weren't willing to do it, another team in the major is willing to do it. So I, you know, I I'm just kind of perplexed by that a little bit, but I do think it does, you know, this is, I, I I do think uh, getting uh, Irvin is worthy of the celebration sort of that Eli is talking about. You know, I think this move is perfectly emblematic of Michael Isis just general strategy in approaching these sorts of things right like taking a bottom feeder you know uh team right i don't know maybe i'm not using that exactly correctly but a yeah. bottom feeder team of the league and just sort of bullying them or taking advantage completely <laughs> into <laughs> I, I mean i'm not you know yeah I, no I, 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 I don't mean, I mean it it's in a funny, funny i don't mean it in a funny way but like just taking complete advantage I guess because the A's don't want to pay Irvin arbitration you know or arbitration salary in a year I mean I have no other you know real explanation for it you know um but you know I I don't know why the A's had that sort of desperation to or seeming desperation to get rid of Irvin but in any case right um yeah I mean I mean the Orioles Sorry. I mean this is this is an absolute steal in my mind and you know this is um you know it's 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 really kind of shocking to me at least so
0: yeah I mean so I'll kind of give like what my reading on the situation is cuz we've texted about this a little bit um as you guys said Hernanes is kind of a a prospect with helium had a nice season and it's at a position the Orioles have a lot of depth at and he's he's a little bit older than Jackson Holiday but plays kind of the same position is a guy that was never probably going to play for the Orioles regardless of if he got traded for the A's not doesn't mean he's not a major league doesn't have a major league future but just the Orioles setup he probably was just never going to play for the Orioles so the Orioles are capitalizing on a player with some helium there i think the same thing kind of goes for the the Athletics irvin has some good numbers on the surface last year despite some some physical skills like eli laid out that aren't like super otherworldly he doesn't throw super hard doesn't strike guys out but he doesn't walk anybody either um his splits got bro- got brought up a lot after this trade um oakland is a massive ballpark all that foul ground the outfield's huge and he pitched great in oakland um had a 3.07 era at home over 105 innings pitched then when he went away from Oakland he had a 5.26 ERA, gave up 19 home runs in 75 and a third innings. You know, that's an issue. Uh <laughs> the, the Orioles are hoping that their park is now more pitcher friendly. It seems like it is especially for a left-handed pitcher. Um that he's going to come to Baltimore and uh and and have some success there. Um, you know, I, I don't know how it'll go on the road when he goes to Toronto, who's moving their, their fences in this off season, goes to Yankee stadium. That is notoriously hitters park, uh, Fenway with, uh, the green monsters, like 10 feet away from home plate. Um, it could be difficult for him, but it, again, that's, that's the O's capitalizing on a, on a helium prospect. The A's, pro, uh, uh, um, taking advantage of a player that had a nice season, and the A's also don't have a ton of prospects. The A's are in a tough situation. They, uh, they are bad. Their stadium is bad. They might be going to Vegas. They don't have prospects. So I think anything they can get, they'll take. Um, so I think that's just kind of how it is. But I think, yeah, anytime you can trade a minor leaguer for a, an established major leaguer with four years of team control, it's a no-brainer um, and a huge win for the Orioles and, uh, because again, her may make it to the majors someday and he may be a fine major leaguer. It wasn't going to happen in Baltimore. So tough to not really be happy about it.
1: I mean, it, it is possible, you know, in the next couple of years or two or three years that her makes the majors for the A's, you know, so it could be yeah. a, a, a situation that works out well for him. Um, but yeah, it is. And just, just for clarity, Tyler, um, you were saying that. Uh, I knew can, you made a face when I said that. Yeah, Look yeah, because yeah. I, I, I was just trying to figure it out a little bit, what you were saying. You're saying it's a favorable pitching park, particularly for a lefty, theoretically, yeah. because righties have a matchup advantage, and then it's harder to hit the ball out of left field in Camden Yards? Correct. Did I follow that right? Okay, yeah. Got you. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's that makes sense. That tracks, right? I don't know if, like, statistically, lefties pitched better in Camden Yards last year, but. Right. I, you know.
1: Yeah, it's it's it, it just it, it caught me a little off guard to hear it sort of put in that way. So, I was trying to calculate in my mind and try to figure out exactly what you were talking about. So, yeah.
0: Yes, you nailed it, Jess.
1: Gotcha.
2: <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> Thank I, you for I,
2: the explainer. I will also say like with Cole's profile in particular, I, you, I I don't know why I said Cole. Jesse was saying Cole earlier. With Irvin's profile at like
1: Cole bit, just it, sounds like a last name. That's true, you that know. Is. So, that's but we're not I'm talking about, about Garrett Cole, you know. It's right, like, right. Yeah, anyway.
0: his name is probably Nicholas, I guess, and he goes by Cole. I don't know. Interesting.
2: Well, I never that, thought uh, about most, that, but yeah. Sen- Senor Irvin, uh, what he does in particular is he actually like, despite the low velocity, does like to elevate his fastball a bit. So. I don't know. You know, if he can continue to do that on the outside half of the plate to a righty, you know, to his arm side, then I, yeah, I think that tracks that it's going to be tough to pull the ball. It's going to be tough to wrap around and for righties to really live in their power alley in left center. Um, so hopefully we can continue to develop that and continue to like keep him effective there, I guess. But yeah. living living up and a way and, you know, with his fastball, with his four seamer.
0: Yeah, and I mean he threw how many innings did he throw last year? I'm looking at 181 innings. You know that not, and he did 178 and a third the year before. So with him and Gibson, you potentially have 360 innings right there. I mean, that's yeah. huge. And they're not going to be like they're not going to be Cy Young quality innings, but that just solves such a huge problem. And if John Means comes back mid season, now you've got like a very clear like I think three, four, five type of core there, and then. Grace Rodriguez is a 2 maybe and you go and trade for Shane Bieber midseason. That's what that's what's going to happen. Um so that's what the Orioles did do this offseason. Here's a quick list of things they did not do, at least not on February 1st, 2023. Um, they did not sign or trade for an ace type of pitcher. They did not add a significant bat to the lineup unless you count James McCann or Adam Frazier as significant bats. They did not trade away Anthony Santander or Austin Hayes or Cedric Mullins, for that matter. There was some chatter about that. They did not trade away any of their top prospects, and they did not sign Rutschman, Hernandez, or anyone else, for that matter, to a long-term extension.
1: Henderson, Henderson. Yeah. Who, who is Hernandez? Hernandez? I can't read. He I meant can't. Henderson.
0: <laughs> Henderson. Her, there's a Gunner super Hernandez. prospect, Hernandez. Gunner Hernandez. I mean, Hernandez. You, you
1: you just said her nays. We were talking about her That's nays. So then thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll you I the, appreciate that. I we'll get let you it. off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but those are the things the Orioles didn't do. Um, if you guys want to expand on any of those, you're you're free to. But I think it's here where we maybe give like a grade for the Orioles off season. Um
1: the one thing I will say, just just to comment on that real quick, I mean it's yeah. good
0: because like we're here, so when
1: we when any of us make like an error like that, you know we're here to pick it up as opposed to like unmasking on when one of the guys like one of the announcers makes an error, and, like you know they just let it slide and they just keep going <laughs> like it like they it never happened, like the other guy never jumps in or the other person never jumps in, and it's like hey. Oh, you, you yeah. meant you know, like they just pretend it didn't exist and like just keep moving forward. Like, come
0: on now. Yeah, but um, we are anyway. clearly yeah. better than the professional broadcasters on <laughs> exactly. that's that. That's written. that's
1: what i have tried to say here. Yeah. So,
0: um,
1: yeah, I don't know, Eli. Do you want to start addressing any of this? I mean, <laughs> we, I mean, really, all of this. I'm ready to is, give all, my grade. All, this, all, of, yeah, this is, all of this. We've been talking about this for a minute. Work. All of this is
0: worth addressing, honestly. I well, mean, but, but you give all a grade. So, you so give important. a grade, and if it's if it's a bad grade, explain why it's a bad grade, or and you may hit on these points. So, Jess, do you have a grade in mind you want to give? I mean,
1: yeah. I, I mean, I think I'm right in line with Connolly, like around a C ish. You know, like it's okay. fine, it's good, it's slightly, you know, it's it's slightly encouraging. I it's think
0: satisfactory, it, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. Hmm, well yeah does does that push it down to the d range i don't know but i mean (laughs) but but i mean i do i I do think it, it is pretty clear that the oriole the 2023 orioles will be better than the 2022 orioles i do think that and i do believe that so that's why it's at least passing you know i mean i guess it the grades slightly depends on like what metric we're assessing them on, you know, like, but, but yeah, I mean, right. Like there was, there was clearly no ambition, right. Um, There was no creativity. There was no uh, uh, drive to, to, to get in a, on this project of the off season. So, um, you know, that's, that's why, you know, it's sort of lackluster, I gotta say.
0: Okay. So, but you go with a C, like a seventy-two percent?
1: Yeah, yeah, if, like a if, C minus. Yeah, yeah. If if our if our uh, you know Cole, Cole uh, went Irvin. back to saying Cole, yeah, Cole <laughs> Irvin, I mean, is probably our most exciting acquisition, and it's a three or four starter. You know, I mean, you could argue, I guess, Kyle Gibson is is more exciting, but I think um, yeah. I think Irvin is more exciting because of the the yeah. age and and the length of the con the the. Years of control, control. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's why I think he's the most exciting. Uh, but right, I mean, Cole Irvin. I mean, come on now. That's that's the best the Orioles can show us. You know, like <laughs> that's right. so that's Justin, disappointing. Yeah. Make it a percentage. Where in the seventies are you? <laughs> okay, I'll say, I'll say seventy-four.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, wow, just below average. Yeah.
2: So yeah, so like in my mind, you know, like C perfect seventy-five is right in the middle. F is bad, A is good. So yes, for
0: me, that's how most of them
2: go. I think that's how <laughs> it usually works. <laughs> so yeah. for me, I'm like, I'm a solid. I'm going 78. You know, yeah. I am in the C plus range. I'm not like at the very tippy top of it, but <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. You, you know, like like Jesse said, I think that this team is better than the you know, than the 2022 Orioles. I think that we have more depth. I think that, yeah, I I think we're like actually in a pretty good spot stepping into this year. I think those couple pitchers moving into the pen are going to make our pen, you know, like really, really strong. Once again, I think that we won't have struggles that we saw. I don't know, you know, Joey Crable will probably be back, but he doesn't need to pitch so often. Um, you know, I think, I think our pen has a bit more depth. Um, I I think that's a good thing. I think our infield has more depth. Um, I I think that everything looks fine. That said, you know, like, as Jesse said, there was no ambition to go get an A on this project. It, like, you could have gone. I remember I talked about it, and if you signed Nimmo, Verlander, and Rondon or something like that, you know, that was a hundred million dollar increase and you still have a payroll less than the Orioles highest. So it's like, you know, the Orioles had the ability to do unbelievable, ungodly things this year and really put themselves in a position to immediately jump into contention and open up a window in the AL East. And we did not do it. Yeah. And that like is disheartening, but it also doesn't change the fact that we made some... I don't know. We use the word incremental 75 times in this, but we made some incremental upgrades. Um, so got to give them slight positivity for that.
0: Yeah. I think I'm a little lower on it than you guys, mostly because like I, I like the urban trade. I think it is a good trade. I don't know that it takes the Orioles up a level. You know what I mean? I think it does like support things, but I, I view them as a little bit closer, like more of the same of what we got, maybe a little bit better than like the, a little bit better than like the Tyler Wells sort of pitcher we've had that maybe would have been the five starter without him. But so I, I think I'm more like a 70-71 for them. Um, because I agree with what you said. They're better now than they were at the end of the season. But there was just so much more potential. This team, this team does not feel like a World Series contender to me, which you won 83 games last year. The schedule this year with the competition of the of the schedule should be easier for you. So that alone should give you another couple wins. If you go and get an ace starter, that maybe gives you another five. You're into the 90 win range. Like there was so much potential. And instead you did like the bare minimum to get by.
1: It could so, have been yeah. turned into a world series contender. Right. right exactly. Yeah. It, it,
2: if, you, if, if I was evaluating vibes points, I definitely would have deducted a couple. I was trying to be as like non fan as possible Yeah. and say like, they did good things, so they have to be above average. But
0: at the same time, yeah, like it—it it was totally, totally decided. sure. That's fair. I mean, yeah, I guess I, I, you know depends on what average is. Like, I think a sure. lot of teams this this offseason stood pat and did had awful off seasons for like no discernible reason. Like, I don't know what the White Sox did. I don't know what the White Sox did this winter.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Um, the Rockies just did nothing. So, like you know, there's a lot of teams that I would I'm much happier to be an Orioles fan than those fans, but. It's also frustrating because it's like, you know, I get it. I get we're waiting for the prospects to all pop, and then you want to, like, come in with the reinforcements. But, like, why not be ready for the pop to, like, take off? Um, I I still trust Mike Elias's plan, and I think it's going in the right direction. But, yeah, I mean, I think I'd be lying if I wouldn't – if you told me on November 1st that this is what the Orioles would look like on February 1st, I'd be like, eh. Uh, Let, let's
1: I, let's run the yeah. run the off season again and see what happens <laughs> right exactly yeah. redo the simulation yeah yeah
0: right. so i'll give them a 70 like no they're not gonna they're not in the doghouse with a d like you don't need to come see me after class but <laughs> i'm not not thrilled with it either if i'm being honest um For sure and and the lack of extension talks with the rutschman i think is infuriating personally. that's a big point yeah um but I know I'm I'm not I'm kind of alone on that we
1: we didn't we didn't mention that and I think you're absolutely right the fact that Julio Rodriguez got his extension I mean that just shows it's inexcusable you know why the Orioles didn't try to make something work with Adley you know yeah or at least publicly you know we're not aware of any negotiations or anything obviously anything can happen behind the scenes but yeah right it's very that that's that's a great point and we should have uh i think that was worthy of me and eli mentioning in our first little wrap-up thing yeah it's yeah
0: point. i i said hernandez you know you, <laughs> know, pick me up. you didn't mention the extension we so we finish.
1: left out that big glaring thing yeah
0: no you're right yeah.
2: so i i will say though like the Orioles front office this one in particular has been notoriously tight-lipped sure. and so i i don't know i'm not confident that they're haven't been those talks, I'm not confident that, you know, the Orioles haven't broached that conversation with either Rutschman or, or know, Hernandez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the secret um, weapon Hernandez. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, I, I guess part of me, part of me isn't going to consider that a problem until they're in, you know, year five, the second year of arbitration or something like that and still no contract. That's when I'll really start freaking out.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not freaking out, but, um, yeah, you you just always feels like it. It's felt like we've been ahead of the eight ball for a couple of years now in terms of like our plan for the future, and that's one thing where it's like, well, what are we doing? Like, yeah. we're not we're not trying to show that guy up, so it's a little bit frustrating. But, but nonetheless, we'll revisit. We're all kind it, of in the same ballpark of of grades, Jess. What do you it, want to say? Yeah, I
1: was just gonna say. I mean, more than anything, I think like locking Adley up this offseason would be symbolic, right? Because like. Sure you know, more or less like, yeah, we could do it in year three or year four, you know, three or, you know, two or three years away from, you know, his free agency. We could do it then. And practically speaking, there's probably little distinctions and, you know, what the amount would be and, you know, that sort of thing. But with that said, I, I think it is really important symbolically, you know, for the organization to be like, hey, Adley, you're one of our guys. We're really excited to have you. It would hype up the fan base. They'd be really excited that the Orioles are willing to make a big financial commitment to a star player. You know what I'm saying? So I think like, yeah, even the symbolism of it, also Adley maybe having to worry a little bit less about, you know, the money just moving forward, right? Like less pressure to produce, if we buy out his arbitration years, right, then he doesn't have to worry, oh, this is arbitration, I want to really do really well, like, he could just relax and play baseball, you know what I'm saying, so I think from a bunch of perspectives, um, yeah, I think it would have been really nice to to lock up Adley and, and Henderson, and I also wonder, if one of them wasn't there, <laughs> you know, would it have happened with the other one, you know what I'm saying, so I guess that's where it's a little complicated, because the Orioles might be asking themselves, well, if we pay him all this money, well, where does that leave us with Henderson? Now, you know, we don't really. So again, not making excuses because the Orioles have plenty of money to sign both of them. You know, I want to be crystal clear about, you know, not letting them off the hook and letting their cheapness you know letting their cheapness slide you know what i'm saying so they have all the money they need to sign both of them to long-term you know (laughs) deals without cheaping out on them and without not paying them what they're worth right so i want to be clear but you know practically speaking you know with them trying to be as cost efficient as possible and trying to scrape to the bone and stuff like that you know unfortunately i think the fact that we have henderson and adley kind of will unfortunately make them a little non a little more non-committal about giving either one of them money because they might be in a position where they want to see how they play the next few years see who really is the star star you know and then try to make a decision from there it's sort of the same thing um the red sox just went through with Devers and bogarts right it was kind of a situation like that and they ended up sort of choosing Devers, right, in that situation, which makes sense. But, you know, I think the Orioles are, you know, could be thinking about this in sort of a similar way, and that could be a partial explanation as to why they're not more noncommittal. But, again, I don't want to be giving them excuses and stuff, but, you know, yeah.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not something that had to be done this offseason, just a lot of talk of it, Um, and hopefully there'll be talk of it at a future date as well. Um, all right, let's talk prospects real quick. We won't harp on this too terribly long, um, because it's basically just a rehash of all the lists that you can all go look out. But, um, baseball America, baseball prospectus, MLB pipeline, the athletic and ESPN all have their top 100 prospect lists out now. Um, in general, the Orioles did really, really well. As Eli mentioned earlier, 11 different prospects made the various top 100 lists. Um, and I think the worst showing was Keith Law's with The Athletic, which of, of course is Keith Law because Oriole fans love to hate on him. Eli, I was going to say, I him?
2: personally <laughs> am shocked. And I'm also shocked <laughs> that this is the Sorry. one enter expletive here list that Gunnar Henderson is not the top prospect. Yeah. It, it was so like, I, I mean, you could have like written a script and said, you know all these lists come out the Orioles are doing unbelievably well and there's one <laughs> list one single list who wrote it it's Keith Law of course
0: well yeah there's a couple things about Keith Law's list first is that Henderson's not the top pick it's it's a uh, Cody Carroll or what's his name Colby. Corbin Colby Carroll. Corbin, Corbin, Corbin Corbin Carroll with the, the yeah. Diamondbacks um another thing is Colton Kowser's not on his list at all right. uh, which is a bit of a bummer <laughs> um <laughs> There's uh and is he leaving somebody else off too?
1: Um well the you know there's just a big like discrepancy, right? I mean Kowser is 38 on one, 40 on another. So I mean that means yeah. Keith, Keith Law has them, like 60. It's it's not a 10, you know, uh number swing, it's a it's a 60 number swing, right. you know. So the,
2: the lowest that Kowser is on any of these other lists is number 41. Yeah. And I, I will, I will give Keith Law credit. He did list Kauser like he was the first person in his just missed the cut list. And he's concerned about his performance against lefties, but there are plenty of people on those lists with pretty significant split platoon splits that just like whatever. Anyway, sorry, Tyler, please continue. <laughs> no, I mean, this is kind
0: of what it is. It's sort of like an open end discussion on it. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it, that's one thing I will say about these lists is that as far as I understand it, Keith Law is the only, I mean, not, Keith Law, I'm sure, you know, talks to scouts and and front office folks and all that when he's compiling his list. But at the end of the day, it's Keith Law's list versus like Baseball America, Prospectus, MLB Pipeline is like a combination of a couple people's opinions. So there's some of that. And like, if Keith Law just doesn't, doesn't really like something about a prospect, like that's his prerogative. And also what I should say is like, you know, if he's 101st or whatever, if that's how you want to view it, like the first guy off versus 40th, there's probably not as huge of a discrepancy there as like what we might think between like all players and... You know, you know I, I'm, just, I'm trying to defend Keith all a little right. bit. I, I just want you to stop
2: being honorable <laughs> and fair and reasonable in this conversation <laughs> and instead just, like, dig into it with the rest of those fans.
1: You, you're basically saying they're not big talent distinctions between number 40 and number 100, and I, I think that's, that's valid. Yeah, no,
2: I... Yeah. Tyler is absolutely correct.
1: And Keith Law knows a hell of a lot
2: more, but excuse me, excuse my mouth, a lot more about prospects than I do. And, you know, like has actually spent time watching video of all these guys in ways that I never have. So, yeah, when I give him a hard time, it is purely that. But that said, Gunnar Henderson is the top prospect in baseball. Corbin Carroll is fast. That's lovely. He's fine. Well, but- I think
0: that that's the fact that I didn't even know what Carroll's first name was at the beginning is very indicative of like my knowledge level to Keith Law's knowledge level. <laughs> he knows the first name of all the players on the list. He does. So He definitely does. Um, and then that's the same to be said about Kylie McDaniel at ESPN. That's he used to be at Fangraphs, but this is his list that again, I'm sure he consults with people. But, you know, opposed to what Keith Wall's got where he has a few Orioles not on the list or, or lower ranked. Tyler McDaniel loves the Orioles. He even has Cade Povich at 54th on his list. Cade Povich is not on any other lists, but 54th, that's the one of the pitchers the Orioles got back in the Jorge Lopez deal with the Twins last year. Um, Povich's numbers with the Orioles once he came over weren't all that great. great. So that's kind of what I'm talking about when you like the secret sauce and the Orioles just know what they're doing there's something in his numbers that Kyler McDaniel likes and it's indicative of how the Orioles develop pitching. And that got him up to 54th on a list where I don't even know if he was in sniffing distance of any of the other ones. Um, I don't know, Eli or or Jesse, if you guys have any thoughts on that ranking, but that stood out to me.
2: Yeah. I I mean, that was encouraging to me. I also definitely noticed it. Um, it, He was also the only one who had nine prospects from the Orioles uh, in his top 100. (laughs) But, yeah, Povich, like, I I don't know. We talked about Daryl Hernandez as a guy who had helium. You know, like, Cade Povich was the definition of that. And there was a a lot of people coming out pretty much when we made the Jorge Lopez trade that were saying, I know you're not seeing him on lists, but I promise you this guy, you know, is coming up. This guy, his fastball is gained a couple miles an hour. Everything looks better this year. Everything looks better. And um, to kind of see that validated, at least in one spot, uh, is definitely encouraging to me. I I think Kyler McDaniel does a really great job. Uh, I've been reading him since he was over at Fangraph. So definitely, yeah, I agree with it. Um, I mean, agree with it as something exciting. Not saying I agree with it as in, like, that's where I'd put Cade Povich. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. It, it was exciting to me. Uh, a little bit of validation from, you know, the pain of losing Jorge kind of in the end. It's like, OK, well, maybe it'll mean something. Yeah. Um, and the Orioles don't like, you know, Drew Rahm, of course. But the Orioles. Like the pitchers that we have been graduating as in Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish. You know, Tyler Wells was a Rule 5 pick, but these young guys coming up have all been righties, um, you know, besides the little taste of D.L. Hall that we got. And so, I don't know, it's kind of cool to think about, you know, a couple of D.L. Hall, Drew Rom, and now Povich, like actually getting some lefties into the rotation. It's um, nice to think about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's cool, and I think this is – look, the Orioles don't draft many pitchers right, with high picks anymore – uh, or or they haven't under the Elias regime. So this is kind of a, a way that they are getting pitching talent into the organization and, and pushing it upwards. Um, and maybe we see more of it. I don't know how many more trades they'll make uh, in the near future where they trade major league talent for minor leaguers, but um, you know, this is, this is interesting that they continue to do it. Another one that stood out to me was over on MLB pipeline. Heston Kerstad came in at 80th overall. Uh, you know, Heston Kirstad had a rough start to his career with the myocarditis, didn't play for over a year, had his first uh, major, his first taste of professional baseball last year. It was so-so, didn't show a ton of power, but um, was handling himself down in Del Mar. But I, I guess he'll start maybe in Aberdeen or maybe Bowie this year, I'm not sure. But encouraging that pipeline sees enough from him to get him back on the top 100 because I don't think he was there um, at certain points last year. So pretty cool.
2: Yeah. I think it, in talking about him, do you need to mention the AFL appearance though? Cause he showed a ton of pop. Uh, I don't like a majority of the way through the season. He was, he was leading in home runs. Admittedly. I do not remember if he finished there, but uh, I mean, the pop started to come out in the AFL and granted it is notoriously hitter friendly, but I don't know, you know, that, that was encouraging. Um, and, yeah, he continued to strike out at a high rate, continued to walk at a high rate, continued to slug at a high rate. So it does seem like that's the kind of guy we've got with him, uh, which was pretty much his billing as he was coming out. Um, but, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely some validation there, too.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. The, the ahead, one Justin. guy I just wanted to comment on that, you know, hasn't been brought up Yeah, too. It's just Jackson holiday. Like he's on he's in the top 20 on every list. And I mean, I know he was the number one overall pick. And, you know, we would expect him to be there and everything. But, you know, I mean, that's great. And that's really exciting. And I mean, this is the guy we drafted just like six months ago or whatever. Right. And the fact that he's like, I mean, granted, I know we had the number one pick, but the fact that he's in the top 20 on every list here. I mean, it's really exciting. So, and he's probably only gonna, you know, work his way up that list. So
0: well, and I do think like that's an important player to watch this year because he's part of the middle infield discussion. I mean, I know we just drafted him, but when you're taking number one overall, part of that evaluation is how quick you're gonna get up to the big leagues. Um and I, I mean, if he tears it up at um Aberdeen this year. I see no reason why he won't end the year in buoy. And if you end the right. year in buoy, you're close to the big leagues for some time in 2024. Um, and if the Orioles think that's a possibility, that makes it even more likely, I think, that they could trade some some Westbergs, or Tees, uh, anybody like that. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good shout, Jesse. And all the all the scouting reports on him obviously are super complimentary. He's young for the level, looked mature at the plate. Um, so yeah, he's it's obvious but yeah you got to keep an eye on him this year for sure
2: you keep hearing the phrase swing decisions uh -hmm. like everywhere up and down the Orioles lineup or uh, up and down the Orioles farm system and people say yeah I mean he just came in he walked all the time he had more walks than games if I remember right or something like that he yeah he excelled uh and for being a 12 year old dude that he is, you know, <laughs> it definitely, uh, it's encouraging.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you also, I think another, another prospect on the last one I'll mention is just Kobe Mayo, uh, showed helium last year. Uh, it, these lists are, are very indicative that he's been good or, or that scouts are kind of feeling the same way. He's not on every list he's on, I think two of them. Uh, He's number 69 on baseball prospectuses list and he's 47th on ESPNs. Um, But that's good. That was another, like, he wasn't a a first round pick, um, but showing good, good physical skills. And, you know, I think he's going to be a slower one through the system just because he's a little raw still, but um, you know, it's kind of a new name on the top 100 list. So that's really exciting too.
2: Yeah. I I gotta say, I think the Mayo, might be, like, of all these people that we're talking about. I, I mean, it's easy to say one of the Westberg, Ortiz, Norby's, because we have so many middle infielders. But I, I really do think that Mayo is a strong candidate to be traded. I, yeah. I think that Gunner is going to settle in. And, you know, like, if, if Gunner stays at third base, you know, he's a fully capable, like, and potentially plus shortstop. If he stays at third base, it's going to be exactly – I mean, in my mind, it's going to be exactly how it was with Manny. You know, you take a solid to good shortstop. You put him at third. He absolutely excels. Gunner's got the arm strength over there. You know, our corner outfield is probably going to be pretty set. And Mayo's a right-handed hitter, you know, but he's a right-handed power hitter. That's how he, like, makes his calling. So I see him as somebody that the Orioles, like, I think he, he has a high, high probability of getting traded relative to the rest of the names we're seeing on
0: this list. I think that is a good shout. I, I mean, they've talked about moving into corner outfield, like you said, and potentially there's an option there. But again, I think it's these first three months of the season are going to be huge on determining a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because if you, think, if you think Anderson's the answer at third and you think Colton Cowser's the right field answer, then you're starting to be like, well, Kobe Mayo is most valuable to us as a trade ship. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's an interesting, an interesting one for sure. Um, anything else we want to talk about with the prospects before we quickly go through the ownership stuff recently? Um, it,
2: it's fun to be good. That's the only thing.
0: And, and, and you know, we got to soak it up. This is going to be, I think this list might still be pretty good next year, but I think after that we're going to start to see some regression, but that should coincide with some like 95 win seasons in the big league. So it's right. it's, it's right. okay. It's okay. Um, all right, let's talk Orioles ownership because it's a bit of a disaster right now. Uh, John Angelos is the son of Peter Angelos, Peter Angelos, uh, along with his wife, Georgia own like, I think 70% of the Orioles. They are the majority owners of the team, but John Angelos is the control person. So he's the one that is the public face of ownership. Um, and he's a bit of a disaster recently. He recently had the press, uh, over to Camden Yards, for a Martin Luther King day press conference in which he also announced some scholarship things uh, scholarship deals along with the city of Baltimore um, and got into a bit of a tussle with the athletics, Dan Connolly, Connolly wanted to ask Angelos about the future of the Orioles and the city of Baltimore, considering the lease at Camden yards was set to expire. Uh, Angelos took exception to being asked a question at a press conference on Martin Luther King day of all days. And just kind of, you know, made himself look like a jerk pretty much asked Dan Connolly where he was from. Uh, It just didn't come off very well. And uh, he also made a promise to invite the press back sometime the next week and show off the team's finances. Of course that didn't happen. Um, (laughs) So that was a bit of a, of a, a mess him up by John Angelos. Today news broke that the Orioles are not going to be accepting a one-time five-year extension to their current lease at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. This means the lease will, will actually end or is set to end on December 31st of this year. Uh, however, reports are coming out that the Orioles and the Maryland, the state of Maryland are, are optimistic that they will get a deal done for the long-term by sometime in July. For context, the Ravens just agreed to a 15-year extension with the Maryland Stadium Authority that could run as much as 25 years. Uh, and the state of Maryland has also already committed $1.2 billion to upgrades of the Oriole Park, like, or the Camden Yards sports facilities, which is both Oriole Park and MT Bank Stadium. So I don't exactly know what the negotiation is here, but clearly, Angelos is not happy with how things are. And then finally, the mass and money settlement may be coming to an end. There's a court date for March in New York where a judge is going to determine if the Orioles do, in fact, owe the Nationals $100 million in local TV revenue. Um, The Nationals are currently up for sale, and that sale can't really be finalized or really move forward until this settlement is sorted out. Um, So we got a lot going on with the Orioles' ownership. Guys, how are we feeling about the Angelus family and how they're running things? Uh, Eli, maybe I'll go to you first.
2: (laughs) I, I don't know. To me, you know, like they are rich entitled jerks. Um, it's not really a surprise to anyone, but yeah, I, I mean, the way that John Angelos was like trying to kind of like, you know, virtue signal and try to, you know, pull in all the stops that he could in order to just avoid the question of yeah. Connolly asking him, he's like, you know, Connolly came to him and he said, so, you are doing this, you're, you know, funding the scholarship, that's wonderful. But what are the prospects for you guys staying in Baltimore? Because you're, you know, your family is currently embroiled in the embroiled in this legal battle, you know, internal. Oh, yeah.
0: And I forgot da, 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 da. to say that the, the, the brother is suing Lewis is suing John and Georgia. Exactly. Angeles. Forgot about and, that part.
2: And so, <laughs> you know, he he was just kind of asking, like, this is great. You are showing a commitment to the people of Baltimore, but like, what is the status of the Orioles and you and everything? And John Angelos didn't want to answer that question very simply. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he started like, you know, pulling out all this stuff to try to I um, don't just try to avoid the question. He didn't really come to anything coherent. Like you said, he was like, you know, Dan, Dan are, are, are you from Baltimore? are you are you from here and meanwhile he lives in nashville you know and dan Connolly is semi-local you know like from just up 83 so th- there's a lot covered of the team for forever like right has, he's, he's probably in baltimore for
0: like half the nights of the summer yeah right
2: he'd been writing you know for the baltimore suns probably since jesse and i were born before he went to the athletic it, it's all like I don't know. It's kind of ridiculous. And then today with them, you know, declining this five-year extension, you know, it just kind of, sh- it comes off as kind of, I-, I don't know. It just comes off as smug and like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, ignore the ramifications of this and just try to go for leverage and just, you know, try to extend the contract and get a better deal and et cetera, et cetera. So, so yeah, definitely not particularly happy. Um, and then on top of all this, you know, we talked about not signing Carlos Rodon. If you gave Michael Elias the purse strings to sign Carlos Rodon, I'm sure he would be more than happy to. Yeah. You, know, you know, I don't think that I don't think there's ever been a GM in history who said, you know what? No, I don't want more money. I would like to operate with the smaller payroll. You know, yeah. it, it's a it, he's definitely handcuffed and constrained by ownership. Um, and we um, should fault them for that.
1: too. Uh,
0: he has a problem.
1: Yeah, well, I I just don't know how clear that is. Like, I'm not sure it's that binary, right? It's not, you know, it might not necessarily be that um, they're completely unwilling to give the money, but with the money comes expectations. And, you know, I think those sorts of things are happening behind the scenes, too. So I'm, I'm not as, you know, clearly convinced that, you know, he, Elias is being constrained and he's not allowed to spend any money and I'm not sure it's that's exactly happening my only sort of take on this you know that is is sort of uh disappointing I gotta say is you know like growing up I mean I remember you know despite Angelos not running the Orioles effectively my dad sort of liked you know that Angelos ran the team and had the team because of it you know his experience with labor in the past um, like especially as a lawyer you know he's he participated in class action lawsuits like representing workers and stuff like that so right it's yeah. it's it's disappointing that you know i guess his children <laughs> sort of act in this way and you know I right know.
2: i was gonna say that that was peter's not john right. you know
0: well because right, that was his a, dad right it's a local family like it's baltimore whereas you sell it to a billionaire there's no guarantee that it's going to be a Baltimore family. Of like, course not. It's right. very rare. The Orioles and Ravens both have local ownership and that is not usually the case. So yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating. It's, it's, it reeks of like overthink and a rich guy thinking that he can just sort things out. Cause he's smarter and better than you. Cause he went to Duke law school or whatever it is that John Angelos did. It's just like, I don't know. Sometimes you just keep it simple. Like the, the, the Ravens figured out a way to get this extension done and all the money seems to be the same. It's 50-50, 600 mil here, 600 mil there. The Orioles got a reduction on their rent because they put, they made the changes to the wall in left field last year. I mean, the, the the stadium is universally regarded as like a top five stadium in the sport. Like, what are you haggling about? you you're you we already know you kind of are going to sell the team lock up the stadium for 15 to 25 years that seems like a big checkbox to to figure out sort out the mass and money like yeah it's it's a screwed up situation that you are in there but like figure it out like you it's just kind of embarrassing too. like you're a lawyer the whole family is law now granted it's not contractual law it's different kinds of stuff. Um, But I'm
1: sure they know a contractual (laughs) lawyer.
0: (laughs) Like it's just like very, it's just embarrassing that the situation is this way. And it also is annoying as a fan because you get, you get the fan base going at each other for no real reason. You've got the people that are convinced that, Oh, well, this means the team's moving to Nashville. This means that the teams, you know, that Oriole park's going to be vacant. I was on Reddit last night, which you never should do, but I was on Reddit, and I got into the. I was in the National subreddit, and they were talking about the Orioles ownership situation, and like, yeah, this means they're going to be moving, and maybe the Nationals could play some games at Camden Yards occasionally. Like that would be <laughs> kind of cool. And I was like losing what my mind earth? because that's not going to happen. The Orioles are going to be in Baltimore, but I just need that line of like thinking and conversation to just be over because I'm just I'm so over it. It's so exhausting, and. I just need John Angelos to to sort things out because it's just it's and it, this should be such a fun exciting time to be an Orioles fan but this backdrop makes it not that way and it's it's upsetting.
1: The other probably smaller point in all of this that you did bring up is this thing about the finances and then not showing mm. the finances. Like <clears throat> why would you why would you agree to that if you had <laughs> no intention? It's just like unnecessarily no, it- shooting it, yourself in the foot and like obviously people are going to be like upset and be like like why would you do that you know it, i mean it was
2: it was so much better than that though because it was totally unprompted right right he, he he was going on this rant and he just goes i'll bring you and anybody else into the warehouse next week and i will show you all of the orioles finances you know
0: and it's like yeah all right well, do it well, it's, like, it's like so it's kind of funny because like we are so beaten down that we don't expect that. Although like I, I got into a whole fight in the Camden chat, a comment section recently about like, I said something about, you know, the Orioles, we do deserve to know how the Orioles are like spending their. This was before John Angelos said anything like this, but I was like, we do deserve to know like what John Angelos is spending the money on, where the revenues are going. And some guys like, what, where do you get off asking like a private business for their finances? And I'm like, Sorry, when they want millions of dollars in tax revenue, I do get off asking where they're spending the money. But we're so beaten down as like a people that we don't expect this. I think the Atlanta Braves are the only team that like is open, open about their finances in certain ways. No other team is. And it's ludicrous that they're not, but it was such an unforced error. There is one more that's publicly traded. Sorry. Okay. No, that's fine. I knew it was very few though, but... Like, none of it, I'm sure as soon as he said this, Rob Manfred or whatever, one of the owners probably called him and was like, what in the hell are you doing? Why would you say that? <laughs> right. Like, you know, we don't want them to know this stuff. It's like, shut up. Like, I know you're not very smart and your dad had all the brains and was the one that got the money for your family and got the baseball team. But and just because you're the control person, you think you're as smart as your dad is, but you're not. So, like, stop running your mouth. I'm sure that's a phone call he was given because rich people run things like the mob just a little bit, I, I believe. So,
1: For um, sure.
0: I don't know. It's disheartening, but it also doesn't change, like, anything that's going on. The Orioles aren't, aren't going anywhere. I keep seeing people like, oh, when should we get worried? You should get worried as soon as there is another MLB-worthy stadium in a major city in the United States that doesn't currently have a baseball team, which is no cities. So, um, there was going to be in Baltimore. I just wish it wasn't so frustratingly slow and painful in the way they are, um, making that happen, but it's been quite a, quite a two weeks for the Orioles ownership team. (laughs) Great. Um, anything else we want to talk about before we get out of here?
2: I can just say, I looked it up. The other publicly traded team is the blue Jays, but they're publicly traded in Canada.
0: Okay. Thank you I didn't know that I mean I, I knew they were in Canada. I didn't know that much know that's, <laughs> that's <something>. good
1: <laughs> i was I was just gonna add that um you know there is still time for Michael Elias if he wants to bump up his grade you know there is still time before <laughs> the semester ends do some extra that, you know we will yeah exactly we will reconsider uh our grades that we've assigned him for the off season if uh you know he turns something in late. And it uh, <laughs> makes a big splash, uh, this you know, these upcoming few weeks. In all seriousness,
2: if Adley or Gunner get extended, it's an easy 86 for me, <laughs> yeah, not I, even
1: I, an A, but a letter grade. Like so, no, still not an A because you still have right. the resources to sign. Right, how right. Else we're done, but, and they didn't actually like put anyone on the team like more right. for this upcoming year, right? right. <laughs> I
0: think that's fair.
1: Um, yeah. The big siding was a guy we had, you know? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, if anything major does happen, we will try to get together for a pod. Uh, We still have uh, almost two months until opening day, but uh, we will do a couple episodes in the interim. We'll probably do sort of a a big off or I'm sorry, big season preview at some point. We're also planning to record our 100th episode sometime. We're currently on like, I think this episode you're listening to is 102. We're like budging um, the numbers a little yeah. bit for this for this hundredth <laughs> well, episode. It's not yeah. and it's not even going to be crazy. I think we just want to make it a little bit different, a little bit more personal. It's like our experience with the Orioles, um, so not as topical. So we'll get that recorded here in the next couple of weeks and get it out before opening day. That is our pledge to you. Um, but yeah, so keep an eye out for that stuff coming up. Uh, if you want to follow us, go on Twitter at the Warehouse Pod. Uh, you can also follow me at underscore Ty Young on Twitter and Eli. You're at Elijah Ginsburg on Twitter. Yeah, but- uh, Jesse, you never check Twitter, so don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> you can also subscribe <laughs> to the podcast on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else you get your podcast. If you go to our Substack, warehousepod.substack.com, you can subscribe to us via email, and we'll get emailed to you. We'll also occasionally put out some blogs and stuff if we if we want to, or if we're feeling fancy. Um, and you can also email the podcast if you want the thewarehousepod@gmail.com. Uh, the inbox is currently a disaster of spam that we have to sort out. I don't know what happened.
2: <laughs> so this is the greatest thing. We have two names. I don't know how we got them, but all of this spam is either sending it to Florence or sending it to Alexis. Okay. As far as I know, our two listeners. none of us on the pod are named either of those
1: things. I guess he like reads the spam. You know? Well, I get notifications. You know, I got Gmail on my phone. It's
2: as simple as that.
0: I really, yeah. I don't know um, what happened. One of us signed up for something illegal and now we just are flooded. Jesse did it. Yeah, I bet. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, do all those things to follow along. And also, like we mentioned at the top, uh, go check out, give the fan, give that fan a podcast. Uh, the Family Feud style game show is still going on. And they've also, they also cover Orioles news during the season as well. So check them out um, as well. Um, oh, the last thing I was going to say is go to our YouTube channel. We've got a YouTube channel. Trying to grow that this year. Um, if we could get a subscription there, we also post the podcast there. So check us out there. Um, just search The Warehouse Podcast on YouTube. Um, I think that's all we got, boys. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, until next time, this has been The Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler.
1: I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli.
0: We'll talk to you later.